0: So, um, in preparation for Rosh Hashanah, I wanted to share with you an idea from a Mikhtov Klali from the Rebbe. The Rebbe would write throughout the year, several times throughout the year, a general letter, an open letter, to uh, all sons and daughters of Israel, wherever they may be. And uh, the, this is referred to as the of Klali. Now, um, the of Klali was written in Yiddish. And then it was translated into many different languages, including English um, and Hebrew and, uh, and uh, other languages as well. But uh, the particular message that I want to share with you tonight is, I'm not going to share with you the entire Mikhtov Klali, but just rather one concept which hit me kind of hard where the Rebbe speaks specifically to rabbis. The Rebbe speaks to the rabbis and tells the rabbis that they often squander the powerful energy that is available on those 48 hours of Rosh Hashanah. And the way that they squander those 48 hours is by making the mistake of speaking about greiser weltproblemen. that's the, the expression in Yiddish that the Rebbe uses. As I mentioned, the Mikhtav Klali was written in Yiddish. They speak about big global issues. And it's such a shod, it's such a pity, such a waste, because don't they realize what a powerful day Rosh Hashanah is? Now, what what does that mean? Rosh Hashanah is a powerful day, so don't speak about big things. What does that mean? So to understand that, we'll come back to this, but uh, I'll tell you a little bit more from this letter that the Rebbe wrote. The Rebbe speaks about the paradox, I guess you could call it, of Rosh Hashanah. Um, all of the Jewish holidays throughout the year are associated with events that occurred to the Jewish people. right? So, for instance, Pesach is when the Jewish people were taken out of bondage. Or Shavuos is when the Jewish people received the Torah at Sinai. Or even Sukkot, the Jewish people were protected with clouds as they went through the wilderness. And then, of course, you, know, you have things like Purim and Hanukkah. Those are you know, uh, later events that happened, post-biblical events, but again, events that happened to the Jewish people. Or, or even Yom Kippur, which is a biblical holiday, but uh, Yom Kippur is when the Jewish people were forgiven after the sin of the golden calf. What's interesting is Rosh Hashanah is the day that is not uniquely Jewish in its significance, but it's global. And it's global in the sense that that is the day of the creation of Adam. And when I say the creation of Adam, I'm very careful to, I have to catch myself from translating that as the first man, because Adam was not the first man, he was not Ish or Isha. Adam doesn't, Adam is actually not a genderized term. Adam means from the Adama, from the earth, the earthling. It also means Adame, I will resemble the one who resembles God. So the, the highest and the lowest combined together, that's the Odom. And then later, Odom was separated into Odom and Chava, which is Ish and Isha, and the genders emerged. So that is something that is not unique to the Jewish people. Odom isn't just the forbearer of the Jewish people. Odom is the forbearer of all people. And as such, um, we might think that the way we observe Rosh Hashanah should be something more universal. Now, what might that observance be? I'm, I'm not sure, um, but we would we would imagine maybe it's some type of, uh, you know, like like a United Nations, I don't mean the actual United Nations, which ended up not being as good of an idea in, in, in reality as it is on paper. But, I mean, maybe, maybe Rosh Hashanah, we should get the whole world together, and we should do something that shows, you know, something that's universal, something that's global. And, uh, and yet, Rosh Hashanah is a day where you have like this paradox it's this day of the origin of all humanity furthermore it's the day when the entire universe all of creation is judged okay so that's that's how rosh hashanah is a very very general day but then on the other hand in actuality it's a day of personal introspection it's a day of stock-taking, of teshuva. It's a, it's a personal day. Um, and that personal idea, that idea of like that personal connection, that individual connection, is exemplified by the shayfar. The Rebbe mentions how the shayfar <clears throat> is a solo instrument. Um, you, you don't have a symphony of shayfrais. <clears throat> In fact, even halachically, you're not allowed to have more than one schaefer at a time uh, to do the mitzvah because then it, they, you get confused. The, we make the bracha lishmaya koil Schaefer. Koil is uh, is the singular, not uh, koilois, not plural, but singular. So the shayfer is a sing- is a, is a is a single sound, a single voice, a solo instrument, and furthermore. Not only is it a solo instrument, but the Schäufer is not a very versatile instrument. It doesn't produce a lot of notes, and it's sort of like a one-note instrument, which again is representing that individual or that personal um, connection, the the idea of the one as opposed to the all or the collective. So we ask, like, which one is it? Is is Rosh Hashanah this global day that's all about everyone? Or is it this very private, personal, individual day that's, that's about each of us? And like every Jewish question, when we say, is it this or is it this? The answer is yes, right? It's both. It's both. But... In this case, it's very simple to understand why it's both. The paradox isn't even that difficult to decipher. It is personal precisely because it is global. And it is global precisely because it is personal. What does that mean? On one hand, it's global because that's when all of us were created. Adam was the beginning of all humanity. On the other hand, it's personal because... That's the day Adam was created. Adam, one person. In fact, it's a that's a Gemara, in Sanhedrin. It says, why was Adam created alone, meaning not as a species, not with a mate, but just as an individual at first, to teach us that a person is a world. So there you have that paradox: person or world? Yes, a person is a world. So you have the day of Rosh Hashanah, which is the day where the whole world was created, right? All of humanity comes from Adam, and yet it's this one person. So, therefore, what's what's the application of this? The application is that we have to understand that on Rosh Hashanah, being personal is being global. That the individual is the world. And therefore... The way to have the most impact globally is to focus on the personal connection with Hashem. And therefore, going back to what we were talking about before, the rabbi laments that the rabbis squander the awesome potential of the day and they talk about global issues because that's not how to have power on this day. Ironically, or perhaps not so ironically because now we've explained it, the way to have global impact on Rosh is not by speaking about global issues. It's not when the rabbi gets up and says a politics sermon that could have been, you know, uh, you could have heard on talk radio. No, the rabbi should get up and talk about each individual and their personal connection with Hashem and everybody doing one more mitzvah and changing one thing that they can change in their regular day to day life. That's the paradox. So when the rabbi misleads the congregation by speaking about big issues you miss the point the way to be global is by being specific there's a, a story that's told about a, a, a little boy he went to his father and uh, he wanted to play with his father but his father was busy his father was working at home he had a home office so the little boy says "You know, daddy come play with me the father didn't have time he didn't want to play with the boy so he wanted to distract him he saw a magazine and so he picked up the magazine and he tore the cover off of the magazine now on the cover there was a picture of the world with all the countries and the the continents and the oceans so the father removed the magazine cover from the magazine and then he started to tear apart the page until it was like you know 100 pieces of confetti and then he took it and he put it in the little boy's hands and he said here it's a puzzle Put together the puzzle and then daddy will come play with you now obviously this was a diversion tactic the father didn't want to go play with the boy but he figures this boy he doesn't know what a world looks like right the whole globe with the countries and he doesn't know what that looks like he's a little kid so it'll keep him busy for a good long time the little boy goes to the other room five minutes later he comes running back in daddy i'm ready come look at the puzzle i finished the puzzle the father says it's not possible he says it is come So the father gets up, he walks over to the dining room table, he sees the magazine cover with the picture of the world is complete right there on the table. So he says to the little kid, how did you do this? He says, Daddy, I don't know what the world looks like. You know, it has all these different shapes of land and water, and I don't know what that is, all the different countries, and the boundaries, the borders, I don't know what that looks like. So I didn't know how to put that together. But you see, you know know how a magazine cover works, right? So you have a cover, you have a picture on the cover, but also on the inside, you have the inside cover, which is usually an advertisement, right? Inside ad. Uh, so the little boy says, I didn't know what this world looks like. I wasn't able to put that together. But you see, he picks up one of the torn pieces and he flips it over and he says, on the back, on the back, there was a picture of a man. I don't know what the world looks like, but I know what a man looks like. So that's what I did. You see, he shows him the back of each piece. How It's the picture of the person. He says, I just put the man together and the whole world fell into place. So this is the message. You put the man or the woman, you put the individual together. You clean up your act. You look into your, your own private business that no one knows but you and Hashem. And you resolve to be better, even in a small way. And then the whole world falls into place. That is how we have power. We don't have power by distracting ourselves, talking about big things that are beyond our control. We have power by focusing on the small things which are in our control. And the small things are not small things at all. There's there's an old story they tell about uh, back in Russia, when uh, the communists were first coming to power, they would go around indoctrinating the masses into communism. So they would have these preachers, not religious preachers, but communist preachers who would go around and they would preach communism. So one time this uh, communist went to the uh, the countryside and was speaking to the farmers, uh, the, the Russian uh, serfs, the peasants. And so the... Uh, The communist is speaking, and he says to the farmers, he says, so, comrade, I just want to make sure you understand communism. Uh, If you have two cows, what do you do? So the little farmer says, if I have two cows, uh, I keep a cow, and I give one cow to the communist party. The communist says, that's correct, comrade, very good. Okay, let me make sure you understand this. Let's say you have two goats, what do you do? He says, if I have two goats... I keep a goat, and I give another goat, I give the other goat to the Communist Party. He says, yes, comrade, very good. Okay, now, here's an easy one. You have two chickens, what do you do? And the little farmer hesitates. He says, comrade, two chickens, what do you do? And the farmer's hesitating. Comrade, two chickens, what do you do? And the farmer won't answer. So the communist says, I don't understand. Two big cows, you're ready to give one away to the Communist Party. Two goats, not as big as cows, but goats are, you know, goats are expensive too, and you're ready to give away one to the Communist Party. Now, two little chickens, two little chickens, and now you're hesitating what you're going to do with, with the chickens? Why is this all of a sudden different? The farmer says, I'll tell you why it's different. I really have two chickens. So cows he didn't have, and he didn't even dream of having. Goats he didn't have. And he knew he was never going to have. But chickens, chickens was a real thing. He actually had two chickens. What's, what's the vote? What's the, the, the moral of this story? It's very easy to make big decisions, global decisions, right? But when it comes to the small, quote-unquote, small decisions, all of a sudden, now you're getting personal. Now you're getting personal. And that's where the struggle is. But that's also where the power is. Simple, personal decisions that are going to affect my personal day-to-day life. Stuff that nobody else is necessarily even going to know about. Maybe even my family doesn't know about. Maybe it's just me. Something that's just between me and Hashem. But that's where the power is, because... Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of the creation of the world and the creation of the individual. And those are one in the same concept. It is the creation of the world, meaning all of humanity because of the creation of the individual. The progenitor of all humanity. So on this one in the same day, one in the same moment, where we're not only commemorating what happened on Rosh Hashanah, but we're reliving it, we're remembering that a person is a world. And the paradox of if you want to be global, be specific. If you want to affect the world, change yourself. I think I've probably told you this story before because it's one of my favorites. But, you know, the story of the Husyat The was a, a rabbi, he comes from uh, if you, there, there's a whole string of, of Hasidic uh dynasties that come from Ruzhin, from Reb Bissro, who comes from the Magid, ultimately, through, uh, through the Magid's son, the Malach. So the Husiat was one of these dynasties, or a Rebbe from one of those dynasties. And they were in the Ukraine, but then during the interwar years, in the 1930s, they relocated to Vienna, Austria, for whatever reason. And uh, Vienna today is, a you know, there's a Hasidic community there, uh, rather thriving one, Bar Hashem, but uh, in the 30s, Vienna was like very cosmopolitan, coffee shops, universities, you know, Sigmund Freud. It was like very secular. So this Hasidic rabbi is walking down the street in Vienna, and it was a sight to be seen. So there was this German-language newspaper reporter, a non-Jew, and he asked somebody, who is that interesting person? They said, that's the Husyatner Rav. And he's not a regular rabbiner. Rabbiner is German for rabbi. He's not a regular rabbiner. He is a wunderrabbiner. He's a wonder rabbi. So the reporter says, well, I've never met a Wunder Rabbiner. I've met a regular Rabbiner, but I never met a Wunder Rabbiner. I didn't meet a, a wonder Rabbi. I want to meet one. So they said, okay, we'll arrange it. So he sits with the Hushyatner and he says, pray tell, what is a Wunder Rabbiner? So the Hushyatner says like this. He says, well, I'll tell you. First you have like a regular Rabbiner, a regular rabbi, congregational rabbi. He controls a shul, a synagogue. Then, you know, next level you have like a shtut rav, city rabbi, and he controls a whole community. Then next level you have rav roshi, you know, chief rabbi, and he controls a whole country. And then you have the Wunderabiner. He controls himself. The Wunderabiner controls himself. So it comes Rosh Hashanah, and we contemplate on the fact that our greatest power, our greatest agent for change in the world is to focus on ourselves, to be a wonder rabbi. And when we hear the shoifer, which is a solo instrument, one instrument, the sound of the shofar, one instrument playing alone, which makes a very simple tone, one note, basically. When we hear the shoifer, it reminds us of this power of the individual. And we are invited, urged, to look within, and to be introspective. You know that during the sounding of the sheifer, it says there in the machzor, in the prayer book, that in between the, the sounds, that you're supposed to confess silently. And you see many people have a custom to put the talus, many men who have a talus, they put the talus over their head, and, and, and there's a reason for that. I mean, it's sort of like this, you know, little bubble, this cocoon, this isolation chamber. Because at that moment, you put the talus over your head and confess silently, and, you know, it's, it's it, there's no one there but you and Hashem. It's the true embodiment of, for my sake the world was created. Not an arrogant sense of entitlement, the whole world is owed to me, but, God forbid. But the opposite of, it all comes down to me. The buck stops here. I'm the change, or I have to be the change. It's all up to me. What am I going to change about myself? And, and I know that it's much easier to talk about the cows and the goats, the big things that are beyond my control that I know are wrong in the world, and this needs to be changed, and that needs to be, needs to be changed, and he should be doing this, and he should be doing that. That's, that's easy. That's, it's easy because it's a distraction doesn't touch a nerve. The hard work is to look within, you know, to look at the two chickens. The personal stuff, the small, quote-unquote, small stuff that I do have control over. Little stuff. One more mitzvah. One more act of kindness. Studying Torah. You know, one more class a week. A little bit more tzedakah. In prayer, you know, to daven, just do a little bit more kavanah. Or, you know, when I finish eating a meal, to, to, to look at the words when I'm, when I'm benching, when I'm saying grace after meals. Whatever it is, these, these quote-unquote small things, these are the massive things. These are the massive things. And, and, and that is ultimately how we change the world. You put the man together... And the whole world falls into place. So that's, that's the basic gist of it. And uh, it's so hard to do. It's the, hardest thing, <laughs> it's the hardest thing to do. To keep the focus on ourselves and uh, to make those difficult decisions about little things, lifestyle changes lifestyle changes, things that we're going to really commit to. Not something you're going to do for a moment because it's tishrei, it's high holidays, and you have to do... No, something really serious, something where you know, I'm making a decision that things are going to be different from now on. Things are going to be different from now on. Is it a small change? Yeah, it's a small change. Small changes are the biggest changes. And that's how we change the world. So anyway, we should uh, all focus on ourselves, focus on the power of being given, and uh, make the make the right changes for the new year. I should mention also, I'll mention one more thing. Being that it's Chayel uh, today, when the Baal Shem Tov came to the world at a time of spiritual crisis. What was the Baal Shem Tov's message? I mean, this is a time when the whole Jewish people were in peril. The future of Jewry was you know, teetering on the brink. What was the Baal Shem Tov's message? Every single one of you is beloved to Hashem like an only child. He elaborated on the muscle. A beloved to Hashem like an only child born to his parents in their old age. What's, what's the idea there? How did the Baal Shem Tov save the whole world? By saving the Jewish people. You saving the whole world. The Baal Shem Tov saved the whole Jewish people by focusing on the Jewish person. By telling each Jewish person you are beloved by Hashem like an only child. That when you realize you are the you are the only child. It's all, it all comes down to you. That's how you save the Jewish people. That's how you save the world.